Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. This week is a wonderful time in Israel, very special. It's the holiday of Pesach, Passover, and it's a very special time here in Israel. The holidays in Israel have a special flavor. This holiday is divided into a first day, a last day, which have special restrictions like on travel and other weekday activities. And the five intermediate days are essentially weekdays with a limited number of restrictions. So what happens is the schools are closed, the people are on vacation, one sees families everywhere enjoying the holiday together, the parks are open, they're crowded, many people use the opportunity to get acquainted with the country, so the roads are crowded with private cars and buses, Many of the religious families travel in large groups and public transportation. My wife and I use public transportation here in Jerusalem. It's nice to see large families enjoying themselves. This week is also also Easter week for the Christians and part of the month of Ramadan for Muslims. There are many people with different religions in the streets, particularly here in Jerusalem. One of the things that one doesn't notice, except in certain areas, are the thousands of security personnel, including Army, police, and Border Patrol, who maintain the peace, and they are very effective, especially here in Jerusalem, with the mixed population numbers in the thousands. These people give up their holiday vacations to keep us safe. We owe a debt of thanks to them, because they allow us to celebrate and enjoy the holidays with their families. So I wish all my friends and listeners of all religions that they enjoy their holidays in peace and security, and hopefully more holidays will come in the future when there will be peace and there will be security. We pray for these things, and with the help of God, these days will come. I'll be back after the break. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. 
You're back with Jay Shapiro. This program is being broadcast in the middle days of the holiday of Passover, known in Hebrew as Pesach. I want to say a few words about it. This is the first time in more than two years that COVID is no longer the most spoken about agenda item uh, that in the Jewish world. We now talk about the riots in the old city, which I'll say more about later. And we talk about the Ukraine. And unfortunately, there's a war going on. It's already in the second month. The crisis in Ukraine and the byproducts of the Russian invasion into Ukraine are really real top issues. Real risks and real tragedy are unraveling before our eyes, there's a spillover into Poland, Moldova, Moldova, Hungary, and Romania. And a lot of these um, millions of Russian Jews include thousands of Jews who need help. Thousands of Jews who, unlike us, will be celebrating Passover in new and different ways this year. For them, this Passover will certainly be different from all others. The, uh, the these, these are different from our last two COVID area Passover celebrations. And the experience they're having now is really bad. Two years ago, we bemoaned the restricted Passover celebrations we had due to COVID. Passover preparations were private, very modest. People who had never made Passover at home, people who liked to go to hotels, were forced to clean and cook and make Pesach, as we say. Preparations were more modest than in any previous year than I can remember. As a matter of fact, the rabbis even eased the rules of koshering to accommodate the covid and most tables for the Seder, the first night of Passover, were much less populated than in the good old pre-pandemic holidays. Last year, by the time Passover rolled around, restrictions had eased a bit. It was easier last year than two years ago. However, the Seder, the traditional meal, were still modest, but not bare bones in terms of guest lists as in the previous year. And now this year, finally, we finally could make, make up for it. Hotel programming was up, and guests have been invited to other people's sedarim, their seder. Passover will never be the same, and in reality, it shouldn't be. Passover is about remembrance. It's about traditions. It's about family. More than 80% of Israelis, including secular, those who call themselves atheists even, attend a Passover Seder the first night of the holiday. It's about family. And we, we tell over the history of our Jewish nation's Passover and our own Passovers. It's always a, a, a nice 
I think it has to do with all the preparatory work that goes into the holiday. It's not just the cleaning and the cooking, the helping, the teamwork. I remember every year crying as I grade the maror. I did it as a kid in my grandparents' house, and I did it together with my own grandchildren. It, it's working together toward a product that we use on the first Seder. The, in the, outside of Israel, they have two, a first and second Seder, the first night and the, and the second night. Here in Israel, we only have one. The, as a matter of fact, it's very interesting. Outside of Israel, a lot of the housewives say that they enjoy the second Seder more because they're too exhausted to enjoy, enjoy the first Seder. They're too exhausted from their preparations. So we try to fill the, the um, Seder every year with new and different ideas to draw out conversations, discussions, and dialogue. And particularly, and it's very important to engage children who, who at the Seder, much of the Seder is geared and directed toward the participation of children. So Passover comes with a message of freedom, hard work, the triumph of good over evil, the triumph of good over destiny. We read about it and we remember it year after year. It's a story that never gets old and it's a story that's renewed every year with new versions, new editions. Think about the Soviet Jews. They had secret Hebrew classes, they celebrations in secret in our lifetime. I remember Years ago, when the, before they released the uh, Jews from Russia, we used to have a, an empty seat at our Seder table representing Russian Jewry. Since then, they have indeed been liberated. So we try to do something every year that's relevant to that particular year. I remember we had readings about Soviet Jewry, connecting the story of the exodus of the children of Israel enslaved in Egypt to refuse Nixon in the Soviet Union. Some, some years, people had an extra piece of matzah, unleavened bread on the table, dedicated to those brave refuseniks and the so-called prisoners of Zion. So I remember these things, and it would be a wasted possibility of an educational experience, not to let what is happening now in our world infuse and imbue this year's Seder. So now we have, the, we can remember the, the, the Jews of Ukraine. Ukraine is, is part of the Pale of Settlement, and it was the land of Torah. Ukraine was the home of the Baal Shem Tov, the father of Hasidism. It was the home of Rabbi Nachman of Achadaam. It was the home of Chaim Nachman Bialik, the Jewish, the Hebrew poet, Zev Jabotinsky, who was the founder of the uh, 
right-wing Beirut movement. I remember, by the way, visiting Odessa and visiting their homes. And by the way, one of our prime ministers, Golda Meir, was born there. The great past of Jewish Ukraine should be memorialized and the hundreds of thousands of Jews who lived in Ukraine before Putin upended their lives should be honored. The, it's interesting, the Ukraine was part of the Pale of Settlement and it was the home of many, many scholars and important Jews, poets, writers, uh, uh, Jewish newspapers, and today that is all gone. So we have to remember that for what it was as part of our history. Now I want to change this subject to something much lighter, which uh, I personally found amusing, and I want to share it with the listeners. It was in a newspaper this week. You know, the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, who's not Jewish, has a Jewish husband. And the president of the United States is not Jewish either. We all know that. Yet, they make a celebration, they make a Seder in the White House and in the home of the vice president. I, I would assume they do this, make sure to capture the Jewish vote in the upcoming election in November. But something very interesting, very funny happened this year. It turned out that uh, the Vice President, Kamala Harris, uh, they used wine at the Seder, and they used wine from the Psagot Winery. Now, where's the Psagot Winery? It's in the northern, it's north of Jerusalem, and in the area it's called, we call it Judea, and it's called by others the West Bank. What happened was that Kamala Harris's use of wine from this winery in the West Bank at the Passover Seder sparked social media controversy over the weekend, and her office clarified that she was not making a political statement in favor of settlements. The, the, uh, what happened was they, they showed pictures of her uh, Seder, and in it you could see wine, and you could see on the label that it was, it was produced in the West Bank. So the vice president of an NGO called Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East highlighted this political faux pas. He said it's produced in an illegal Israeli settlement which is colonizing the occupied West Bank. This demonstrates serious contempt for Palestinians and international law. Of course, the, the wine bottles were not intended to symbolize any political stance by Harris. But that is interesting. She got blamed anyhow. I'll be back after the break.
You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany is but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to say a few words about the Arab disrespect for Jewish holy places. Keep in mind that after the Six-Day War, it was decided by the Israeli Ministry of Defense to hand over the Temple Mount to the Arabs. Now, the Arabs have shown a tremendous disrespect for Jewish holy places, and during the holiday of Pesach, of Passover now, they are rioting and, and disturbing Jews who are trying to go to the old city. Worse than that, if there is such a thing as worse than that, during the night between April 9th and 10th this year, dozens of Palestinian rioters in a city that they call Nablus and we call Shem, raided and vandalized the Jewish holy site known as the Biblical Tomb of Joseph. The rioters set fire to the site. They smashed the cenotaph above the grave. They smashed electrical lighting. They burned prayer books and ruined and burned equipment within the tomb area. On April 11th, it was discovered. On April 11th, it was discovered that the rioters had returned to destroy whatever they had missed during the previous night. Similar attacks have taken place in the past. In 2000, the year 2000, there was rioting, and an Israeli policeman was shot and bled to death. Over the hours, the Palestinian Authority denied entry to Israeli medical personnel. In 2015, the site was again seriously damaged by arson committed by Palestinian rioters. According to biblical tradition and the writings of historians, the tomb is located in the city of Shechem, in the, in the area known as Judea and Samaria. Since the city of Nablus, or what we call Shem, is located within the Palestinian Area A, as defined in the Israeli-Palestinian Interim Agreement of 1995, that, by the way, that agreement is... Uh, known as uh, Inter-Agreement Oslo II, it is under the full control and jurisdiction of the Palestinian Authority. Now, again, last weekend, Palestinian rioters vandalized the tomb during clashes with uh, soldiers, Israeli soldiers, 
They set fire to it and damaged the site. Then, several days later, two members of a Hasidic sect were shot near the entrance of the city while trying to make their way to the tomb. Now, you have to keep in mind that the historic and religious significance of Joseph's tomb derived from the book of Joshua. And it said, and I quote, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in a tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. That's what it says in the book of Joshua. Imagine if a comparable Muslim or Christian holy place were desecrated by Jewish thugs. International uproar would be deafening. However, when the target is a Jewish holy site, the reaction is nothing more than a whimper. This target attack on a holy site is an example of how the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians is not just about terrorism targeting Israeli civilians or about the Palestinian demand for statehood. It also has elements of genocidal ethnic cleansing, which is key to the Palestinian national movement. This hatred for Jews, hatred for Jewish sites, and hatred for Jewish history is a key part of a Palestinian nationalism that has often justified terrorism and has resulted in attacks on civilians as well as attempt to erase sites all over Israel and of which Joseph's tomb is simply another example. These attacks by Palestinians on Jewish historical and holy sites is a key part of the underlying hatred that guides the conflict against Israel. Now, it's clear there's another pathway as possible. For example, Israel has new relations with the Gulf states, which are Muslim states, and they recently hosted a what was called the Negev Summit uh, at the um, kibbutz that there where Ben-Gurion used to live. And there's growing visibility of Jewish communities in places like the United Arab Emirates, and this shows how there can be a path of mutual tolerance, respect, and appreciation for diversity. However, there is no diversity whatsoever in the Palestinian Authority. They worship martyrs, they hate Jews, they deny the Holocaust, they claim that there's no Jewish temple in Jerusalem. This is all part of the normal rhetoric in the Palestinian Authority. When extremists can't get into the heart of Tel Aviv to carry out attacks, they attack things like tombs. That is the easy target for them. It's also tragically part of the process only across the entire Middle East, in, in which Jews were chased from their historic homes and their sites destroyed. It happened in Baghdad, in Iraq, in Damascus, in Syria,
And in Tunisia and other Muslim countries over the last 100 years, whenever there was anger at Israel or anger at Zionism over the last 100 years, there was a good chance that local Jewish sites and synagogues would be attacked, and so would Jews. Similarly, the pro-Palestinian movement in the West too often targets Jewish places of worship during times of conflict in places like Gaza. This happens even when Muslims attack Jewish synagogues in the United States, for example. It's happened several times this year. So the symbolic issue here is quite clear. There is a lack of tolerance and support for human rights. That's a basic part of the problem with the Palestinian Authority. It condemns terrorism on one hand uh, publicly, and then it encourages their people to attack Israeli civilians and Jewish sites. The Samaria Regional Council, which is a Jewish organization, uh, which essentially governs the area of the Shomron, Samaria, uh, has, um, is a spearheading renovation of the site of Joseph's tomb. And there's also several other organizations involved. And they noted that just before Independence Day, which is just in another couple of weeks, they're restoring the national honor of the people of Israel and the honor of Joseph, one of our forefathers. The government is being pressured to put better guards around the area, uh, including the army. However, returning control of the tomb to the Israeli army may not be the right move. What we want to do is preserve the status quo and not enter a new cycle of violence. However, it's important we find a better way forward with the Palestinians. There's been a, a kind of privilege that rioters in the West Bank have and terrorists have exploited, and they're doing so this week in the old city of Jerusalem, where they're targeting Jewish civilians and holy sites and being rewarded by their own government. We have to find a way that mirrors the peace deals in the Gulf, which mutual respect can grow on both sides. So we have a major problem with the Palestinian Authority. It could well be, by the way, that the Palestinian Authority is even more upset by the fact that other Muslim countries are making peace with Israel. And that, and that essentially sets them off to be more angry and try to do more to catch attention. In order to catch attention, they attack Jews. That is the nature of the enemy that we have, and it's really a difficult situation. I can only hope that our government takes whatever steps are necessary to put an end, or at least to quiet down, this rioting, because we can't simply live with it, particularly on our own holy days, when the Arabs tend to be even more angry at the Jews for being here in what they consider to be their own land. 
It's a difficult situation, really a difficult one. I don't, I'm not a potion. I don't know the solution, but there must be one. This can't go on. I'll be back after the break. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. Uh, this program is being broadcast uh, during the week over Pesach, Passover. And in the first two sections of the program, I spoke about things which I think are significant. First, about the Passover itself, and second, about the uh, rioting that the Arabs are doing. Uh, this is their month of Ramadan. This is their holy month. And they use it to take advantage of the uh, their fact that they control the Temple Mount and they don't like to see Jews come up there. So I spoke about that in a previous segment. Now, I want to touch upon several small items, not necessarily dealing with Passover, although the first item does indeed deal with Passover in the following sense. A Passover is a, a family holiday, and it's known particularly for the meal the first night called the Seder, which is a ritual meal, but it includes a big portion of food. In the outside of the state of Israel, Jews celebrate two first days of Passover, first day and the second day, and they have two what they call Sidarim, and they, it, 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 there's a lot of ritual associated with the uh, Seder, but there's also a lot of food. So that brings up something that was just discovered or just reported about in the last week, which is, uh, has to do with steak. And thanks to Professor Shalamet Levenberg at the uh, Technion Institute, they have a stem cell and tissue engineering laboratory. And it's no longer big news that real muscle, real fat, and a vascular-like system similar to a ribeye steak can be made by three-dimensional bioprinted using cells from a cow rather than slaughtering an animal. They made top headlines last year when they presented the world, world's 
first cultivated ribeye steak. But now, this world leader in tissue engineering at the Haifa Institute can boast about a new accomplishment. And get ready for this. <clears throat> they created edible muscle tissue by bioprinting a plant-based scaffold and living animal cells. The, uh, they worked uh, with the cultivated meat producing company and um, they published their study in a journal called Biomaterial under the title 3D, <coughs> excuse me, 3D Printable Plant Protein Enriched Scaffolds for Cultivated Meat Development. Now, what this means is this new technology of cultured or cell-based meat is not only a scientific and engineering accomplishment, the researchers predict that in the future, it will make possible the large-scale production of cultivated meat without requiring the raising uh, of animals and the envir environmental damage from methane gas that cows release into the atmosphere. So to meet the demands of meat lovers, technologies are necessary that allow for the production of whole muscle cuts that are as similar as possible in terms of taste, smell, and culture. So, I believe me, I'm, I'm reading this uh, from a news report. I myself don't understand it, but the bottom line is you can produce good edible meat without animals. So uh, the ability to produce a wide variety of cultivated meat products was the main focus for creating thicker cultivated steaks while using alternative material that supports cell adherence and proliferation. They, uh, in this article, the researchers presented a solution to the challenges by using alternate bio-link to print scaffolds from animal-free proteins as well as living animal cells. They, so they ended up, it's a printing process which enables the creation of protein-enriched scaffolds with different geometries based on a method in which the bio-ink is deposited into a suspension bath that supports the materials during printing. Now, I don't know if the readers understand what that means. I, I myself don't know. But I think it's interesting to say now you no longer need, need animals to produce meat. And that's a major breakthrough by the Technion here in Israel. So uh, that's news. And since, as I said at the outset, that uh, Passover is a... a uh, a holiday or a holy day, if you will, which is uh, centered around a meal, the first night or the first two nights, of, depending whether you live in Israel or not, Seder, the uh, ritual of Passover, is centers around various kinds of food. And now it turns out that Israeli scientists now know how to produce meat without using animals. So heaven knows what will be like next, next Passover. Uh, it, uh, a lot of animals' lives will be saved.
So when it, essentially Passover will also become a holiday of freedom for animals. I think that's, that's a, an interesting way to look at it. Animals are now free. They don't have to worry about the Jewish holidays coming up when many of them will be slaughtered for food. They themselves will now be liberated. So the holiday of liberation will be extended not only from the Jews, but also by the animals. So I think that's a major breakthrough, and it's worth mentioning. And since I mentioned how Israeli scientists are producing meat, I'll mention a few other things not having to do with Passover, but having to do with the how um, Israel scientists are doing tremendous work. The uh, a uh, what happened was a man was brought into um, the Shari Tzedek uh, Hospital, and he had lost half of his external ear in a work accident in a carpentry shop, and they couldn't reattach his ear lobe. And plastic surgeons at the Shari Tzedek Medical Center here in Jerusalem used advanced technology and artificial cartilage to scope a new earlobe and implant it on the side of the accident victim's head. The, uh, he had lost uh, the uh, upper half of his earlobe in an accident, and the emergency physicians tried to save the external ear and it didn't receive a su sufficient supply of blood to remain a living tissue. Instead, he was taken to the plastic surgery department of the hospital, decided to form a reconstruction using the most innovative approach available. They restored it while combining artificial cartilage and transferring tissue from his body with new technology and the, um, they did a graft, it wasn't made of bone, it was using and made some all kind of natural minerals that is a primary component of the bone. And uh, they managed to replace that part of the, uh, of his ear. So the surgery made possible a full recovery and a man's quick return to the routine of his life. And, and also it had a very good aesthetic result. His ear didn't look weird. So they built a new lobe for this man's ear. And uh, this is uh, the main advantage of this material is that it can be obtained in a perfect fit to match the opposite ear. So it's another breakthrough for uh, Israeli uh, science, if you will. I think that's important. And uh, I guess one final thing to finish the program, that uh, researchers at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, they published groundbreaking research that could change lens technology forever. They could revolutionize the industry of lens making. Uh, and lenses are used in the eyeglasses and cameras, binoculars, and they're generally historically been curved and bulky. They have thick and expensive lenses. So the scientists working for the University Research Lab, together with some company, uh, private companies, have come up with a lens which is flat. And it'll be on the market soon. A flat lens means a much smaller, lighter, and more cost-effective product. 
You'll make flat lens technologies more attainable and therefore provide the benefit and challenges of variety. So once again, Israeli scientists have come up, which is in a sense is world-changing. No longer thick glasses, but thin glasses with flat lenses. So it's another first for Israeli technology and something, of course, that we in Israel and the Jewish world can be very proud of. Until next time, then, this is Jay Shapiro signing off, wishing you a happy Passover, a happy Easter week, Easter week for my Christian listeners. And until next time, take good care of yourselves. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 